You're listening to English with Monty, the podcast about the English language. Talking about the origins of the English language, the history and its development. Hello there and welcome to English with Monty. We're on to episode number 43. I've got Gideon here and this is an interesting topic hopefully for everybody. It's basically I told Gideon hi, hi Gideon by the way. How Oh hello. You? Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are hey, you everybody. doing? You're okay? I'm fine. I'm fine, thank you. Looking Excellent. forward to it today. Just today. You don't normally look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. Fair enough. And with good reason. I mean, I briefly told you, didn't I, about five minutes ago or something, that we're going to do about the origins of English. Ah, yeah. And one of my favorite subjects. One of your favorite subjects. I mean, essentially, mm -hmm. I'm just ripping you off. The other day, I was looking through your YouTube channel, and I was like, well, you're getting loads of views from the origins of English. Mm. People are really interested in the subject, aren't they? I think it's an interesting subject, history of language, history of English. Yeah, those ones seem to have I'd know, um, chimed with the viewers. They have, haven't they? It seems as if there's quite a few different influences from the English language, obviously. I have fairly limited knowledge, so tell me if I'm saying something that's complete rubbish. Mm -hmm. But my idea is that it originally comes from Anglo-Saxon tribes. Is that right? Is that where Old English comes from? It is a bit more complicated than that. Ooh, okay. I should say that originally I thought of doing one video on the history of the English language, you realize that it's such a complex subject that you require many hours. And I know I'm not quite answering your question directly, but part of the research for my videos, there is a podcast called The History of English Podcasts. And I think he's on to, each episode is about an hour long and is on to episode 150 and is still in the 15th century. I've forgotten the guy at his name. Very good. I do recommend it. But just saying that there's such a huge topic and you can go into many, many details. You can go down that rabbit hole and explore a mm. great length. But to answer your question, John, English is a Germanic language. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean a German language. It means Germanic. I mean, that is the tree of languages that we belong to. So Germanic in turn, belongs to the Indo-European languages, which also covers the Romance languages, the Slavic languages, some Indian languages, Persian. They're all part of the same uh, language group. And Germanic is a subset in that group. And English is a subset of the Germanic group, the Anglo-Frisian group. Although, the, again, this is disputed. I'll come to that in a second. You have North Germanic languages, which are the Scandinavian languages, Danish, Swedish, Norwegian, Icelandic, Faroese. And then you have, have other Germanic languages, such as German languages. And then you also German Dutch. And then you have the Anglo-Frisian group, which is English, Scots, which is considered now a separate language, not Scottish English, by the way, Scots, mm -hmm. different things, and English. I could go on, John. I can continue. So we're part of that little group, but English is a bit weird. I'll try and cut this short now. English is a bit weird. It's a bastard tongue because although 
we do belong to that subset of languages, the language group. We have a huge French influence and Latin influence too. But the French influence is huge because of the Norman invasions of 1066. Mm-hmm. And Latin okay, is not from the Romans. It's often a misconception that the Romans came over and they left all their Latin language. No, the vast majority... 99% Latin came after the Norman conquests at that time through the Normans and other influences from the church. And it was the lingua franca at the time, Latin. So if you see a page of English text, if you see a page of French text, I should say, and a page of German text, even though English is a Germanic language, you'll recognize more from the French page because it's difficult how to define the amount of vocabulary that comes in from one language or another. But some estimates put the French vocabulary as about 40 to 41% of the English language. So it's huge influence. So we're a um, Germanic language with very large French vocabulary. I mean, if we try and break it down in terms of the time frame, it was Anglo-Saxon tribes that came from Central Europe. Is that right? Around about 400 AD? Is, is that fair to say that well, that brought the origin I of should the language? Say, I should say there are things in my YouTube video which I now see in a more nuanced way as a result of feedback that I've got because originally the sort of the idea was that you had the Celts who came quite a long time ago. The Romans came in, what was it? I can't remember, 56 AD, was it? The Romans came. Sounds about right, yeah. And then they buggered off in 400 and um, I call the dates in front of me, 400 and something AD. And then the Anglo-Saxons came in. But it's not quite like that. Apparently, the Anglo-Saxons were trading a lot with the Romans during the Roman period. And slowly, rather than in one wave, they got replaced. And those Romans left. So we are descended from the, firstly, the Anglo-Saxons. Okay, the English language descended, not me personally. And secondly... Through the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Big, big influence. Very big influence. In fact, some people say, some experts say that English is in fact a North Germanic language. It's a Scandinavian language. That's one theory as well mentioned. Because the Viking invasions would have been around about, was it 800? Something like that? Again, it depends how you define an invasion. I think they attacked Britain and sacked the monastery at Lindis Farm. Again, that was 700 and, oh, I'm not very good with dates. You can have to Google it, 700 and something. I'll look it up. They were there before and after and came in greater waves after as well. And they covered a large part of England, bits of Scotland as well, and other parts. The Vikings were everywhere. Even the Normans, they had some Viking. They were essentially Vikings. They didn't speak a Viking language when they came over in 1066. But the Vikings, they greatly influenced English. They were there. And even the words, I think there's some parts of the word to be, they, and well, you have to find a list somewhere of Viking words, but lots of very I, common I, English words. Yeah, I've got a few here. Apparently there was about 2,000 new words from Old Norse. Yeah. And you've got things like yeah. give, take, knife. Egg, husband, run, and also Vikings, surprisingly. Apparently, around 2,000 new words. So I don't know how that tallies up with what you have studied. It's difficult to know sometimes, is it a Viking word or is it an Anglo-Saxon word? Because they were similar languages. That's why it's sometimes difficult to separate them. 
because they might have been mutually intelligible, just like an Italian speaking to a Spaniard. Mm-hmm. They might just understand each other. Got a list in front of me here, actually. Birth, both, bump, crawl, cut, egg. There you are. Many, many. Gang, gift, give. But they spoke similar languages. And that's one reason, one explanation why English grammar is quite simple. I want to say simple. Is that the right word? But unfair. People are thinking, oh, English grammar is simple. I mean, simplified in terms of the verb structure and things. Because when you're speaking to somebody, because old English had masculine, feminine, and neuter. Mm-hmm. had all these declensions as well. But it got simplified. And I think maybe when you're speaking to someone who speaks a similar language to you, but not the same, you end up simplifying things so the other party can understand. That's one explanation why English got simplified and why it is the way it is. But that seems like a fair comment, though, doesn't it? I mean, yes, as an English learner, often you're like, oh, this is hard. But grammatically, if you compare it to other, I don't know, for example, romance languages, it is quite straightforward, isn't it? You're saying it's basically they had to communicate with each other. And so that's why it became a simplification. Yeah, remember, they weren't just chatting to each other, they weren't just trading, they were intermarrying because they live in the same places. Often a village or a town would have both Anglo-Saxon and Viking speakers in it. So there was intermarrying, maybe the children spoke both languages. Inevitably, this is going to change how the language develops. So that's one theory of why English lost a lot of its complex elements. I think Lindisfarne was around 788 or 793, it seems a bit disputed. Around about that time, mm-hmm. you could say the Vikings started migrating, invading England, if you like. The Vikings had more influence than the Anglo-Saxons by the sounds of it. No, no, not necessarily. Was no? there more influence? Okay. I think, again, if they estimate that about 5% of English words come from Old Norse, which is the language of the Vikings... And about 30% from Anglo-Saxon, if looking at modern English. Because you've got uh, words like be, strong, and water. They come from Anglo-Saxon. Thing. Yeah. And most of the, most, not all, but most of the sort of important words and the helper words, like, you know, the conjunctions with, and, but, the verb to be, the verb to have, not all the verb to be. I think they is Viking, strangely. They is Viking. Mm-hmm. But the other ones, I am, you are, uh, we are, that's Anglo-Saxon. And what did I say? But, from, of, all these prepositions. So mm-hmm. those are Anglo-Saxon. You can, in fact, make words, you can make sentences just using Anglo-Saxon words. We not very complex sentences. I am from the house. <laughs> okay, whatever. But you can quite easily make a sentence. The glue that sticks English together, the glue is all Anglo-Saxon, you see. But you couldn't say they are from the house, because obviously they are is from Viking, right? Yeah, you could say Germanic. Some people also misunderstand it, meaning all the French words are all very uh, literary and things. That's not true. That's not true. Very is a French word. It's hardly literary. And so is table and chair and shoes and And things like beer. Actually, beer, I'm not sure. I think in one of my videos, I said beer is from French. Maybe it is, but apparently the French took it from Dutch. I got some comments on this. No, no, we, we got their first beers, actually, uh, Dutch. Here it says beer, city, fruit, people. Exactly. Lots of very common words from French as well. The word number is from French. The top 100 words used in English 
about sort of 97, 98, had come from Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. or Norse, not from French. But it doesn't yeah. mean that the French aren't common words because they are. We briefly touched on this, didn't we, in our last podcast episode. And the idea of Old English was left to the peasants. Is that right? It was a bit less glamorous when the Normans came along. Would that be fair to say? And then maybe from 1000 AD to about 1400 AD, that was when the influence started coming from French. And as you say, there was a lot of common words that came into the language, but also French was generally used by the aristocracy, wasn't it? To an extent, again, I'm going to check the numbers, about 300 years, the language of England was French. The aristocracy spoke French. The royalty spoke French. It was the language of the courts. The second language in England was Latin. And the third language was English in its own country. Mm. So that's extraordinary. The French language trickled down into ordinary, everyday speech. And there's something which is often repeated by whenever people are trying to show the differences, and that's with food, that the names of the animals, because the peasants were English, so the names of the animals were Anglo-Saxon words, so you have cow and pig and sheep and the um, lamb. The names of the food is French because, you know, at the table, the aristocracy who are eating the food gave it their names. So you have cow, you have beef from boeuf. Now you have pork, pig is from pork, pork in French. And mutton is French for sheep. Sheep in French is mouton. The food is mutton. Also, you have lamb, the food is veal, which is veau in French. There are other examples of that too. Apparently, that's not 100% true. It shows, does show how the class distinctions at that time, though. That's very interesting, though, isn't it? Because it's curious, isn't it, that we call the meat different to the animals? Because that's not always the case, is it? I mean, if you're eating ostrich, then it's ostrich, right? Well, <laughs> not many people eat ostrich, I guess. You don't yeah, change the apply, name no. of the meat. No. Yeah. Another example is venison, mm-hmm. which I think is an old French word. They don't say that anymore, but it used to be venison or something like that in old French. And of course, it's deer. You kill a deer, but you eat venison. That's strange. Why would you give it a different name? Simply because of the French influence in terms of the food culture. Well, basically everything. You go through religion, French thought there was. Remember, there's a difference between... Because there's two waves of French. There was the Anglo, Anglo-Norman. When the Normans came over, they brought their language, which got called Anglo-Norman, which was the French language spoken in England, called Anglo-Norman. And later on, because French was the lingua franca on, in Europe, lots of French vocabulary came over as well, going beyond the 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th centuries. So sometimes you'll have two words. You'll have an Anglo-Norman word and you'll have a French word. For example, you have warden. If it begins with a W, usually means it comes from Anglo-Normal. Warden and guard. It's the same word, isn't it? So we get two words meaning the same thing. Gordon, guard. I think some more examples of that. So if it's a W, like war, French is guerre, but it gets changed to a W in English. So that's a sign of it being Anglo-Norman. So you have these different pairings where we got two French words where the French only have one. So that's curious. Does that mean that potentially we have more vocabulary in the English language for that reason? Yeah, definitely. They say that English has the greatest number of words of any language. 
and maybe that's disputed. I don't know. But one of the reasons was we have a double, even a triple vocabulary. You can see we have the words begin and commence, which mean the same thing, but you just use them in a you know slightly different register. Commence, I suppose it's a bit more high level, isn't it? If you say commence, it sounds a bit more with gravity, doesn't it, in some way? Exactly. That's often the case with French words in English, just to have a sort of higher rank, a high level of formality. Hi, my name is Tessa and I'm from the Netherlands and my favorite episode is number 19. John and Gideon guide you through how synonyms can help to expand your vocabulary. This whole podcast I highly recommend for those who would like to improve their English and they even organize live sessions in London, which are really interesting. So go for it. There's about 750,000 English words. Is that right? I don't have the number. I guess how you define a word. It's very complicated because you know, half those words are probably like technical words used in science or medicine, you mm-hmm. know, from Greek or something like that. Yeah, that's another thing. We haven't mentioned Greek because there are a lot of words that come over from Greek. But usually, not always, but usually they come through another language. This is why it's very difficult to say where a word comes from and how to get statistics about which language provided the vocabulary for English. So you take a word from English like glamour. Oh, glamour. All right. Okay. Because well, it comes from Scots, Scots language. Glamour. Okay. Glamorous. I think I have a slightly different meaning in Scots. When you look deeper, glamour actually comes from French. Grammar. Grammaire. French word. Oh, grammar. Okay. So it's a French word, is it? Well, no, not really. It's from Latin. Grammatica. Was it grammaticus? Now I'm getting stuck about Latin and Greek. It, it okay, so you have the Greek word, you have the Latin yeah. word, and that comes from Greek. And then if you go back further, it could come from Proto-Indo-European. When you're looking at where words come from, which part of the hierarchy of the word do you take it from? Some words are fairly clear. We do know the origins and other words, it's a bit more ambiguous, a bit more difficult to understand. Well, which words are fairly clear though? Most of the French words, about 70% of the French words come from latin mm-hmm. and some of those come from greek and some of the french words come from maybe from dutch it said beer the word clock we might have got it from cloche that's french and they got it from latin and the latin's got it from celtic the celtic language is clock a celtic word is it a latin word is it a french word just the point is whenever people say these are statistics of the origins of the english speaking language this percentage is french this percentage no it's more complicated than that but so that means a lot of your videos that we've done recently are rubbish then. <laughs> I do give statistics, but I have a best guess that they are to be taken with a pinch of salt. Just to give an idea, but they're not going to be very precise. Okay, so the 41% of common words that are used in English are French origin. That's approximate. I use that one because I checked the sources. I was checking the sources and how they had arrived at that figure and oh, I've forgotten who it was. I haven't got all my stats in front of me, but he looked at hundreds of business letters and then worked out the origins from business letters. But uh, there's another one which is often quoted in Wikipedia, which gives a lower figure for French. But I think that one just trawls through the dictionary. And that's, it's very difficult because you get so many words which we hardly ever use and they get included mm. in Latin or Greek, there are a huge number of words we don't use in everyday conversation. So should we include them or not? Or should a very obscure Greek medical word be given the same weight as the word the, the most common word in the English language? 
That's one word, the. Do we count each occurrence of the, or is each word given its own weight? So the word the and the word, I don't know, perspicacious, should they be given the same weight? They're both English words. What does perspicacious mean? <laughs> but that's an interesting one, isn't it? Because obviously that particular word is not used, right? I don't know it. I guess you probably didn't know it before you did some research. Well, perspicacious. I think I know that one to have a clear insight into something. You've okay. made a very perpicacious observation, John. Right. Perspicacious is how you pronounce Do you it? use that quite frequently in your well, All language? the time. More <laughs> often than dog or cat or table, yeah. Perspicacious. Yeah. Every other sentence I use wow. it. Wow. That really shows the level that you're speaking <laughs> I'm, I'm at. Exaggerating. <laughs> Do I have to aspire to be like you or <laughs> you're just weird? Just making the point that perspicacious is one word, the is one word. Are they given equal weight when you're doing the statistics? So take those statistics with a pinch of salt. So when we say a pinch of salt, there's an interpretation on that, isn't there? Yeah, you've got to say, okay, it's a maybe, yeah, fair enough, but really. That's interesting to know, though, isn't it? Because it means that if people are making these very precise statistical figures, they're putting them in, then as you say, it really depends on how you determine it, on how they're used, how often they're used, whether people know them. Exactly. Because when I made the videos on the history of English and I quoted these 40% from French, and then I got these comments, no, that is not correct. As I understand it, 29% comes from French, 28% is from da da da. And they just quote the top line in Wikipedia. Do some research yourself or look into it. Don't just contradict me without basis. Actually, I just didn't answer those. No, it's not quite like that. It's not so simple. We want a simple answer to everything. That's the thing, isn't it? I suppose it just goes to show that it takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of nuance in terms of interpretation. And there are certain elements that you can maybe pin down quite well. And then other elements that are a bit more ambiguous or a bit more yeah. difficult to understand what the origins are. Take the word anti-clockwise. So anti is from Latin. Clock, as we say, comes from cloche, but it comes from the uh, Celtic language. And wise is an Anglo-Saxon word. So in one word, you've got three origins. So mm. how are you going to separate? It's, you know, it's so complicated. But that's a very good demonstration, isn't it, of how complicated it is. You can't separate those ideas at all. That's true. People that's want a simple answer. They mm. want, no, just tell me. I've got, I'm a busy man, you know. I've got deals busy, to Busy strike. woman, maybe, yeah. No, yeah. busy woman. Just tell me how it is so mm. I can move on. I'm busy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't. That's it, isn't it? I suppose nowadays we are looking for simple answers, aren't we? And it is curious that people contradict you on those elements just because of something like potentially Wikipedia. As an information source, it can be very useful, but also we can rely on it a bit too much. Yeah, don't just use it as gospel. I use Wikipedia, of course. Who doesn't? But don't just treat it as gospel, that it must be true just because it's in Wikipedia. There are things that are wrong with it. I've seen it myself. And there's a lot of information out there, isn't there, about the English language or the origin of English where you've got to discuss it really, haven't you, to some extent and research it, yeah, rather than just giving a blog and just saying, ah, it's like this. It's much more than that though, isn't it? But as you yeah. say, that chap has already up to 150 episodes, is he, on the English language? Very good. I haven't listened <laughs> to them all. He's done 166. I'm going to check his name. We should give him a shout out. Kevin Stroud. It's one of the several sources I've used for my videos. I've read several books. Kevin Stroud did a lot of work on it. Deserves credit for that. It's very, very interesting. 
He did, 166 episodes. Oh, no, the 16th century or something, so there's a lot more to go. I should also mention, just a quick shout out also to the Celtic languages, because they also had an influence on English. And I made a video about that. I read a book called Our Magnificent Bastard Tongue by John McWhorter. He says that the influence of Celtic has been understated over the centuries. So, for example, the do that we use in English, he calls it the meaningless do, where you say, do you speak English? Why do I need do? Can I say, speak you English? Why do we put in this do in many cases? That's a Celtic influence. So it's understated. It's not given enough credit. For many years, for many centuries, people say, well, we don't get anything. We get only a few handful of vocabulary from Celtic, but it hasn't really had any influence on the English language. But John McWhorter did some research. He said, well, that's not true. Also, the present continuous, the way we use it in English, is very similar to the Celtic, very similar to Welsh or Scots Gaelic, or use present continuous. For example, where are you going? In French or Spanish or Italian, I think you say, well, where do you go? Dove vai, I think is mm -hmm. Italian. We're in Italy now, I know. But in English, you can't say that. Where do you go? Makes no sense. Why do you need to say, where are you going? And they say that that's an influence from Celtic. Just saying that English is derived from many different sources. We could use where do you go, but it has to be a regular activity, doesn't it? So it's like, where do you where go do you... on Fridays? Exactly, exactly. Where do you go on Fridays? What are you doing? I can't say, what do you do? What do you do is your job, isn't it? You can't say, what do you do now? What do you do now, John? What do you do? Uh, I'm, no, I'm an English should... teacher. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you can in other languages, you can. What are you doing? Que haces or que tu Que cosa fai? Running out of languages. That's a very, very good pronunciation. I'm impressed. <laughs> okay. You're a poly, poly <laughs> I can't even say it, a polyglot. You're a polyglot uh, and you don't even know it. Amazing. I'm not a polyglot, I'm bifocal, actually. Isn't that to do with sight? Yes, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. You're confusing the listeners. Yeah. Then after the French influence, we're probably talking about the Hundred Years War, are we, when things started changing again with the French being kicked out, really, wasn't it? And then the language of power and influence moved to English again. Then we're getting into Shakespeare territory, aren't we, around that kind of time? But I think you're jumping the gun a bit because Am I? Oh. a little bit. English didn't really become an international language till much later. Is that what you meant? I just meant in the British Isles. So up until yeah, yeah, the hundred years. Shakespeare's just still a, a sponge and it has been even now. We take words from other languages. I mean, Shakespeare was doing it in Shakespeare's time and later on, you know, even in the 18th, 19th century. But it's fair to say that after the Hundred Years' War, English became in more England, of a language. yeah, yeah, okay. in the British Isles. I don't mean on a global sense. Okay, the language of England became English, mm -hmm. if that's what you mean. Yeah, so, the language of England became English. So that wasn't until the, uh, 15th the first century. king. Again, I got to check. The first king who was a native speaker of English was Henry the Fourth. What kind of date would that have been? Henry the Fourth. He was the king of England. I've got the dates here, 1367 mm -hmm. to 1413. That's when he lived, but he was king from 1399 to 1413. So he was the first native speaker of English. Before that, they spoke French in court. Some of the um, speakers didn't even know English. Think about it, from 1066 to 1399, that's mm -hmm. 330 years that the English kings didn't speak English as a first language. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It is extraordinary, yeah. 
from 1399 onwards was when English as the language started becoming more... Well, you could look at other things, just Chaucer. He was the first, I would say the first writer, one of the first writers of repute who started writing in English rather than French. That was the 13, what was he, like late 14th century, 1380s? I always thought Chaucer was earlier than that. I thought Chaucer um, was mid 13th century, but I might be wrong. He died in 1400. Oh, okay. So yeah, mid middle of the 14th century. Yeah. So that coincides with Henry the Fourth, isn't it? Really. So mm -hmm. that's when England became an English speaking country for all people, not just the peasants. When Shakespeare came along later on, he added more, didn't he? Didn't he add some extra words? He's almost oh, yeah. invented some words, didn't he? Exactly. Yeah, we get a lot of words from Shakespeare. That's true. He's one of the great influences. I say so for the three books that influenced the English-speaking language more than any others, works of Shakespeare, the King James Bible and the Oxford English Dictionary. So wow. maybe we'll talk about those in other podcasts, a bit on Shakespeare, but on the Bible. We haven't done anything on Shakers so far. I think we need to get some Shakespeare. Billy Shakes. Billy Shakes. Yeah. I'm not a Shakespeare expert, by the way, I should say. But You've got time. I can tell you when we're going to do the podcast and then you can research it. Oh. I could research it okay. as well. That might be an okay. idea. But apparently things like Alligator, Puppy Dog and Fashionable, that came from Shakespeare. Oh, did it? Apparently. Puppy Dog. Lots of expressions as well came from Shakespeare. In one fell swoop. You know that one from Macbeth. That comes from Macbeth, does it? Yeah, there's a lot. That's just one example of hundreds of expressions from Shakespeare. Apparently so that, around are, yeah. 1,700 words were invented by Shakespeare. Maybe some of them we don't use anymore, though. It's quite possible. Some, some yeah. of them fell by the wayside. Maybe it's another Shakespearean expression. I don't know. But a lot of them did. And then I guess the next element that was a big influence was when science became a big thing, wasn't it? Maybe in the 17th and 18th century. There were new words coming in then mm -hmm. as well, weren't there? Due to technology. The pro yeah. of science. Yeah, sure. Continues to this day, doesn't it? Of course. And yeah. we get lots of words from technology, from the internet to this day. Yeah, that influence. Things like gravity or electricity, mm. those would have been obviously from that time, wouldn't they? Yeah. Of the knowledge of science becoming a thing. So obviously we needed words attached to it, didn't we? Yeah, I think lots of words from science, maybe from trade, from medicine. And then when would it have become global then? When does English become a global language? Well, I think it's not overnight. It didn't become an overnight sensation, but English had an empire. Then there's a country, I think another country that speaks English west of where we are now. I think it's called the United States. Oh, I've not heard of that place. Where's that? Yeah, they became a sort of superpower. And that, of course, another stepping stone. Getting English to be the global language. And now with the internet and things. I don't know if this is true, but I did read somewhere that the United States could have had German as its first language. No, this is often quoted, but it's actually um, not true. Is it not true? Apparently there was a vote in one district at one time that German should have equal weight as English. I don't know all the stats, but there was never a time where German almost became the language of America. That never happened. It's just an urban myth. Yeah, I'm afraid so. Sorry to burst that bubble. Yeah, I've had those comments as well in the video. Did you know that German was almost... No, it's not true, I'm afraid. That's good to know, though, isn't it? To burst that yes, bubble. Yes, it's a, it's a myth. 
there was one vote again all the information in front of me there was one vote at one time whether it should share in one district or one committee german english should share the limelight never ever almost became the language of the united states no i used to have an english teacher and i don't know whether this is true either and whether you know about this but he used to tell us that american english was closer to old english than british english there is some truth in that because they got the english language we moved on and they were stuck with what we had before some ways british english has moved quicker than american english they use was like a fall for autumn i think they say autumn too but i think they often say fall which i think shakespeare used oh is that um, from shakespeare well he didn't invent the word fall but he used it gotten because of course we say get got got Americans say get got gotten that's an older form we don't say it anymore because you think about it we say forgotten why not i have forgot no it's i have forgotten but why if you're going to be consistent, shouldn't be, I have forgot in British English. But no, you've got our gots and gotten mixed up. Americans are a bit more consistent about it. So they arguably have a purer form in some ways, you could say. I don't know, a little bit. You can find some vocabulary which is older. I wouldn't say this would be closer to old English, though. That would okay. be an exaggeration. There's we could bit... talk another time about the great vowel shift. The vowel sounds in America are post-Great Vowel Shift. They get it mostly from the south of England. Mm. But we'll talk about the Great Vowel Shift another time, and uh, not from the north, which kept some of the older vowel sounds. Okay. So I don't know. It's true. It has some older elements, American English. That much is true. The ones that's closer to, they're much closer to Anglo-Saxon. That'd be a bit of an exaggeration. You can tell a history teacher that. That's a very useful insight. I mean, was there anything else you wanted to add? Because it's a huge topic, isn't it? We've only given it a brief summary, more or less, haven't we? But hopefully that gives the listeners a fairly good idea of how the origins of English came about. It is a huge topic, mm. and I'll be delving in greater detail. I mean, you can make a 20-minute episode just on one word, how it's changed. I did a video on the words tomato, tomato and tomato. So we just look at one word, and you can talk about it for 10 minutes. So imagine trying to cover the whole of the English-speaking history of the English language. It's not easy, yeah. is it? Maybe this should be the point, though, that you tell the listeners about your other videos you did as well on the origins of English. So far, yeah, I've done one on the Celtic influence, the Dutch influence. Yeah, we didn't mention the Dutch influence. Talk about that. We so. did a little bit, didn't we? We did. Not, not too much. Yeah. And the Viking influence, the French influence. And I've also done some little side projects, like I said, tomato and tomato. And I did a very interesting one recently, a video about scone, where some people say scone and some people say scone. Didn't get the love that it should have done. Because it's a very interesting subject, especially for people who like scones. Yeah, maybe it'll get more love now. <laughs> yes. And the question is, did you debate well, whether the cream goes on first or the jam yes, goes I did. on first? No, you yes, did. Yes, I did. Yeah, absolutely, I did. And what was the um, conclusion? There's no conclusion. You know, whatever floats your boat. By the way, what do you say? Do you say scone or scone? That's a good question. I would probably say scone. I thought you were going to say that. Because, you know, there's a scone or scone map of Britain where it shows where people say which thing. Because I knew you said you grew up in the Midlands. Is that yeah, right? That's right, yeah. And they're more likely to say scone. It's not 100%. I think it's slightly more likely. They say scone. In London, it's split 50-50. In Scotland, it's like 98% say scone. 
because that's where it comes from. Yeah. It comes from Dutch, the word's gone. Schön Brot or something like that. I spread. Check out the video. And that's on Let Them Talk TV, isn't it? Yeah, it's on Let Them Talk TV. And Ooh, also... You, you appear regularly, John. I'm trying to get in there more and more, trying to infiltrate your channel. Well, you're already infiltrated. It's true. A lot more views, hopefully, because my loveliness. Yes, definitely. And what about Zeitgeist Banana? Are you going to talk about that? The podcast, I took a break, an extended break for about one year, but I am returning to it. I've got one episode coming up soon. I won't tell you what it's about, but yeah, I'm restarting that soon. Excellent stuff. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. It's always a pleasure. And your wealth of knowledge, your deep well of knowledge has really been very useful. And I think I'm imagining that listeners will love that. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks for coming on. You've been listening to English with Monty. If you would like to support my podcast, then we now have a Patreon page. Patreon is a platform to help fund projects like mine. We offer exclusive episodes, discounts on lessons, and an uncut version. There are other benefits too. You can donate at patreon.com forward slash English with Monty. Thanks for being a sponsor.